Hello and welcome to Is This Room Free? My name is Martin Drake and I'm an ex-HR professional who is now the founder and managing director of Hire People, a recruitment business that is raising the standards in the way recruitment agencies operate. In this podcast, I will be talking to HR professionals and listening to the stories of their careers. I will be finding out about the journeys they have taken and what they have learned along the way. The purpose is to help others in the profession identify and understand the various paths available and take inspiration from my guest speakers. Whether you are someone who is looking to get that first step on the HR career ladder or an aspiring HR director, I hope you get value from my conversations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Is This Room Free? Today, my guest is Sarah Marrow. Sarah asked if she could come on and share a story, as she's currently in a position that none of my previous guests have been, as Sarah recently started her own HR consultancy. Originally, having studied a law degree, Sarah chose a very different vocation, but went into HR in a very different route. Her career took another turn when she decided to follow her heart, and for a couple of years, worked in HR contract roles over the summer months and at ski resorts over the winter. Sarah has worked for some very high-profile businesses along the way, including KPMG, Barclays Bank, Rolls-Royce and Thomas Cook. Equipped with all the experience she's gained along the way, she launched her own business earlier this year, providing strategic HR consulting, outsourced HR and coaching interventions to a wide range of organisations. Sarah is a very unorthodox HR career story, but I know many of you will find it a fascinating one. So, less chatter from me and let's get going. Sarah, thank you very much for joining me. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. No problem, no problem. Um, so just for the for the listeners, um, we haven't known each other very long, have we? You, no, we haven't. Um, you really kind of approached me on LinkedIn recently and just said you would be interested in coming onto the podcast, which mm-hmm. for me is amazing because um, it saves me having to try and... Um, convince people from my network to come on Um, so it's always fantastic to have somebody who wants to proposition themselves as a guest Um, although you did say just before this you were having last minute nerves I think why the hell did I do this but I appreciate you turning up thank you Um, so do you want to just tell the listeners um, who you are what you're doing right now but also I guess why you wanted to to kind of put yourself out there and, and come on to tell your story yeah, so uh, thanks for that. I, I'm Sarah Marrow. Um, I am the founder and director of uh, Marla Marrow Consulting Limited. So we are um, uh, an HR specialist, so providing uh, strategic HR consulting, outsourced HR and coaching services. Um, I contacted you. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember why. Um, I, I, you be, regretfully now contacted <laughs> me. <laughs> so the, the reason, I mean, I've listened to some of your, your podcasts and I think they're really interesting. It's really uh, useful, I think, to talk, to hear from people who, who have had different experiences and, and different sort of routes through, through HR. Uh, and I felt that my story is different again to some of the ones that you, some of the people that you've spoken to, um because of the way that I've sort of gone through my career and I thought it might be useful for for other people uh, to hear I hope it's interesting Uh, yeah Um, I I say everybody's got a story so you know I the easiest way for me to get guests is by contacting people who I've met over the last 
four and a half years of, of doing this. Um, and so many people turn around and go, oh, nobody wants to hear my story. It's, it, you know, it's boring. And, and I, I say everybody has got a story. Everybody has got something to tell. And their story will be of value to somebody out there in some way. Um, because, you know, if someone's wanting to get into HR, or it's currently in HR um, and looking to progress, or just interested in hearing insights from how others are doing it. Mm. Everyone has got a story to tell um, because there is no um, singular one route, I suppose. And, and, you know, for me, this whole podcast is about creating a library of content that is as many different stories as possible that anybody can listen to and then take some inspiration from and going, okay, that can help me. Not all the podcasts will be relevant necessarily, but there might be one person's story that, really hits you know hits a note with a listener and if it can help them in some capacity fantastic you know that that, that podcast was worth it just to help that individual so um I completely agree you know thank you so much for for putting yourself forward because yeah I personally think everyone's got a story to tell and and it's it's about opening people's eyes that they think their situation might be unusual, but everybody, you know, all mm. our lives are different. Everyone's got a, a different life to the next person. Um, and your careers are all different as well. So thank you. So let's go kind of um, start from the beginning then. So you went to university and you did a law degree. So had you, had you always known you wanted to get into law? Um. Mm, not not really parental I don't I I would think it would be unfair to say my parents pushed me but I I came from quite a sort of academic background uh uh, my dad was a surgeon my mum was a teacher and and so I don't think I particularly looked any wider than sort of very traditional courses professions yeah Uh, yeah yeah Uh, I knew I didn't want to I, I didn't have the sort of dedication to train to be a doctor um and and so I think it was almost by default I ended up doing a law degree which is the um, most professional but the easiest one to do <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it was easy, <laughs> easy no um but it, it with hindsight it's turned out to be a, a really useful um thing to have on my cv um so uh, you know I often say I to people it. being in HR is like being a pseudo lawyer because yeah especially absolutely. when you're doing casework yeah absolutely so yeah so I, I certainly I certainly you know, use some of the skills I, I learned on that degree so many moons ago. So you didn't, so you went, you went to Manchester Met, but you didn't then go into the legal world afterwards. So, so when did your mind change about the vocation that you wanted to pursue? It was actually whilst working in a solicitor's office, right. um, which was, it, it, you know, it was a, it was quite an old fashioned solicitor's office, um, very paper-based and very dry and I, and it just put me off um but I didn't want to sort of lose the you know what I'd learned um so I sort of looked at kind of what where could I make use of of it in some way uh, and one of the areas that I was interested in and I'd done as part of my degree was employment law uh, so which led me down the route of doing um my CIPD um so so I went back and actually did a full-time uh, postgraduate diploma Okay. Um, and that's kind of what led me down that path. 
Yeah. Uh, and you'll, you'll probably find throughout my career there's several <laughs> twists and turns like that. Good, good. I like it. <laughs> okay, so, um, so you then graduated with your postgrad in, in mm. human resource management. You've now left the world of education. You're going into the world, the big wide world of work. What were the next steps for you? So here's the next of the the twists and turns. I, I decided at that point that I didn't want to go and do uh, an HR administrator job. Um, Why did you decide that? Um, that's probably a difficult one. I, I just think I was put off by the admin. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, so I, I I looked around. I actually um, did. You feel maybe I don't um, you know. Um, speculating here was it the fact that you'd done a law degree you'd then gone and done your postgrad and actually did you feel as though you were wasting that education if you then went into administrative role possibly and felt which was probably a bit short-sighted but probably that's what I felt like at the time um so I I sort of did a bit of looking around and, and I actually applied speculatively to KPMG which turned out to be a, a a fantastic stroke of luck. Uh, so I, I put out a load of speculative applications to different organisations in Manchester where I was based. Um, eventually, uh, I think having gone round, you know, all sorts of different departments in KPMG, I got contacted by them uh, and ended up working in their consulting um, department. So as a as an assistant consultant, so it was a, a new role that they they'd sort of created, where you know, for people to actually learn consulting on the job. So when you say uh, consulting, what yeah. what does that mean? Because I think everybody, most people who will be aware of KPMG will be aware of them from a you know finance audit. Yeah, the audit functions. Yeah. yeah. So, what, so what's yeah, along called? so alongside um, their audit function, which is huge, obviously, uh, they have a, a large consulting function, which um, well within KPMG covers a whole range of subjects. But the the, the department that I uh, ended up in was effectively uh, sort of reward um, function. So uh, looking at things like um, they, they did all sorts of sort of national salary surveys, um, executive pay schemes, company cars. Um, okay. So all, it, all sorts of consulting with organisations to do with their um, sort of pay and benefits. So would you go out to those clients, partner with them and work on yeah. kind of a, a a report or a project yeah so so the department I worked in at the time um did a lot of uh, job evaluation schemes um they had their own job evaluation system and as an assistant consultant one of my jobs was to go out and interview lots and lots of um job holders uh, as part of that job evaluation process which was a great way as somebody with no experience really to get out there um and sort of experience consulting you know without the the, the level of of, of kind of background that that people in consulting would normally have yeah. you know just going out and doing these interviews was was, was great although repetitive <laughs> <laughs> and improves your interviewing skills as well yeah absolutely yeah I'd spend I mean I, I worked with some really interesting clients sort of unusual clients um as you can imagine KPMG is one of the sort of yeah. big four and so that you know they've got all sorts of public and private sector clients really interesting yeah okay you did that for a few years, and then what was the what was the next move after that? Uh, so I, after spending quite a lot of time 
doing job evaluation interviews, I decided I wanted a change. So I actually moved to um, what was then Arthur Anderson, so still within consulting, um, again within a, a sort of reward function um, and got involved similar projects um, and also some sort of more bigger change projects. So working on sort of uh, HR transformation projects with oh, okay. large so organisations. You were getting more variety in the type of... Cons- a little bit, yeah. Although... although um, I kind of felt a bit like a fish out of water in that organization and didn't stay very long. Why? Um, so I, it, it was, it was very sort of financially focused, the department I was in and I saw myself more of oh, a okay. kind of people than, you know, financial person, I suppose. Yeah. At that time. Was that yeah. something that, I mean, it's, it's a long time ago, so you probably, yeah, it's hard to remember that far back. It was that, was that <laughs> more, uh, it was explained wrong or just a misalignment. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was just a misalignment. But you know, I, I guess most people have those at some time or other in a career. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's all, all great experience. Okay, and then you you stayed within the kind of the consulting side and using your award experience. Yeah. So well, then I at that point, so I'd done five years in consulting, and I so, sort of got to the point where I thought. Um, if I don't go and get a proper job now <laughs> in an you know in-house in an organization gonna I'm gonna role. I'm going to um, you know I'll, I'll end up sort of going too far down this track um, and it might be more difficult at a later stage um, was that, it, was a, it was a very tactical that was yeah no. that was probably one of my only tactical moves um, so yeah that that was a, a, a move because I wanted to experience an in-house role. I kind of wanted to see things through from, you know, post-implementation of something. You know, as a consultant, you kind of go in, um, get to know the place, uh, do do whatever you're there to do, and then sort of move on. So I really wanted to um, experience it as part of the organisation and also to broaden my um, experience uh, because it was very sort of reward-focused at that point. Okay. And then you went to um, Vertex Data Science. Yes. I don't know a lot yeah. about them. I've, I've heard of them, but I don't know a huge amount. So, yeah, I, yeah. At, at the time, it was part of United Utilities. Okay. Um, and, yes, yeah, so I went there to do – initially, the sort of sidestep move was in a reward consulting role, and that was um, sort of looking um, – developing a, a job families within their technology um, function. Um, and and it sort of I, I managed to broaden what I was doing there to a more generalist HR role um, before there was a, a big restructure uh, and my role was made redundant. Okay. <laughs> um, at which point I went travelling around the world, which was one of the most brilliant things I've ever done. <laughs> so, yeah, I always advocate if anybody ever gets a chance in life to do that. Yeah. Oh, know, it was brilliant. Yeah. Usually was, easier to do it than before you start your your career because otherwise you just end up on the um on the train tracks of life um but yeah yeah I'd definitely advocate anybody who can get out there and see the world at some point do it yeah no and and it felt like a real sort of punctuation point looking back at it now um so uh, so it it, there was the opportunity was there and I'm, I'm just really pleased that I didn't sort of think oh I need to kind of you know immediately look for the next thing I need to need to move on up my career or whatever because um, when I came back, I feel like sort of everything started to fall into place a bit more in terms of what I was doing. Before I left, I was sort of, I, you know, I was a bit unsure about, you know, 
is this really for me of a, you know, should I have done something different? Um, when I came back, uh, I got a job. Initially, it was a maternity cover at Thomas Cook Airlines uh, based in Manchester. And then that sort of started kind of six years in, in aviation with Thomas Cook and, and my travel and then Thomas Cook again when they merged with my travel, um, which was a really, really enjoyable um, experience. So and- can I, I'm, I, this is a bit where I'm, I kind of get quite kind of interested in now then so so you've been a consultant in kind of an audit type environment you've then gone to vertex as a reward consultant so you've gone to an in-house role but it's it's not it's not a huge leap from what you've done in the past it's similar type work but you've transitioned from external to internal you've got you said you picked up a little bit more slightly more broader hr experience Mm. You then took a gap when traveling for a year and then you've come back. Now, as a recruiter, I'm really interested in how you then came back into the UK. And this is more of a kind of bigger leap where you've gone from Mm. being in a niche element of HR to going into a much broader HR manager role um, with a big organization like Thomas Cook. I'm interested in how you was successful in getting that job so you've come back you've had a break on your cv previous to that you, the majority of your work's been external consultant mm. um the internal work has been quite niche was it was it a, just a generalist hr manager role mm. so I, i'm yeah. really interested how you um how you well I, i'm interested in how you think you got that job because i would as a recruiter i would i would say okay Yes, it's a maternity cover role and they're not always the easiest to find individuals for because most people are in permanent jobs. But there would be sufficient number of people who would be applying for that role who probably would have a more orthodox background. Probably, so they would yeah. have come from yeah. that HR administrator, HR assistant, HR advisor, um, typical kind of route, um, or certainly kind of, you know, that have had an X number of years experience as a, HR advisor, senior advisor, or HR manager, um, something would have happened where the circumstances meant they were available and they would be interested in a mm-hmm. map cover contract role. So I'm just wondering, you might not have the insight to it, but this is where my brain starts thinking as a recruiter going, okay, well, how did you, how did you, how was yours the winning profile versus mm-hmm. somebody with a more orthodox one? Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons I got through the paper sift was because of my traveling. So, you know, because it was a travel organization, they were drawn to, you know, and they did give me that feedback okay. when I went for the interview. And so this is one of the, th- the reasons I think sometimes recruiters are not yourself, obviously, but are, are, are short sighted because they just look at, you know, what's the job that somebody's immediately done prior and is it relevant? And if not, they're off the sift. And, um, and sometimes people have, fantastic transferable skills which aren't as obvious um so it was partly that you know that I was interested in travel um and aside from that I mean I had picked up some you know I had some sort of prior experience of more generalist activity um but uh I yeah you might have to ask my colleagues who I'm still in touch with from yeah, time no, I, I do understand it's difficult because you weren't you weren't part of the selection process you mm. were part of the you know, the, the candidate, you were the person mm. being interviewed. But it's just, I'm always, I'm always quizzical because a bit, a bit like you say, you know, um, I guess when I've got my recruiter head on rather than my HR head, I'm thinking, okay, 
client client will engage with um, somebody from my background and they want us to find them the 10 out of 10. Um, mm-hmm. And that is, is typically on, um, you know, who has the most orthodox profile for what we're looking for at the yeah. moment in time. I, I completely agree with you that um, sometimes a curveball profile can be the winning profile. And from my perspective, you know, I'd always... Um, comes back to meeting individuals. So, you mm. know, recruitment agencies who don't spend the time actually meeting individuals and only speak for somebody for this. I'm going to get on my soapbox because I get annoyed. <laughs> speak to a candidate for three minutes over the phone um, and then send the CV off. Um, can't articulate why they're then putting that individual yeah. forward. So if it's a slightly unorthodox profile. But I've often found that by knowing the individual and then they've been able to put that person forward you can provide the context of why you see say right these are the ones that you were looking for I'm throwing this one in the mix Mm -hmm. but here's the reason why I'm throwing in the mix and usually from my side if your gut instinct says put this person in they're not exactly the profile they're looking for but put this person in because of these reasons I usually think my the, the client will pick up on the same gut instinct about that mm. individual that I have. There's just something about them that you know yeah. this person's going to get it, and I don't know why. Yeah, they're and not, I think if paper, it's a mark, right, of, but, yeah, it's a mark of a good consultant as well that they know their client and you know what they're what they're looking for. They can spot in the people that they're talking to. Yeah. So it, a good consultant can match it is, people. It is difficult because, like you said, there are a lot of rec- – I'm not going to get on my soapbox too much about recruiters, but there are a lot of recruiters who, unfortunately, do just recruit based on job titles. They don't even mm. get to know the person, you know, have you worked as HR manager, yes or no? If you haven't, you're not going to have a chance of this. Mm. Um, and it's a, such a naive way of recruiting, but it's a mm. – yeah – it's an uneducated way of recruiting, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah, I was just, I was just really curious because, again, it's it's maybe, you know, if there was any nuggets of gold in terms of why you thought you maybe secured that role versus other candidates, um, it gives hope to other individuals. Not to say it doesn't give hope because it does that you got the job, but, you know, is there inspiration that other people listening to this can I think the key thing is... It? Yeah, I mean, the key thing was I do. I mean, I'm afraid I can't remember who the recruiter was, um, but I did meet with them, and um, you know, so I had an advocate in that yeah. the, the recruiter who was putting me forward, and um, and and then you know the people in the HR department at Thomas Cook gave me a chance. Um, yeah. You know, that's a big side of it as well. Yeah. Isn't it? They were yeah. they saw something in you and willing to give you a chance. Mm. Okay. And, and you know it was it was a, a big part of my career because then I, you know I did spend sort of six years yeah. um, in various guises within sort of aviation. So, so. Talk, talk to me about your time with with Thomas Cook because I mean everyone knows them you know huge household name. Um, what was your roles? What was it like working for a, a big organisation like that? Well, so the, the, the maternity cover um, at Thomas Cook, uh, it, it, effectively, it was it was a full generalist role. So, you know, I was um, uh, working with the unions. Um, I was... What was that like? Because you'd never... I'm guessing you never worked with unions. Looking before. back now, you know, looking back now, I was, you know, I was doing things, I had the opportunity to do things I'd never had any experience of. Um, 
it was challenging at times, um, and but I learned a lot. So, the, I mean, following the first year where I was at Thomas Cook, a role became available at my travel airways. And obviously then I did have real relevant experience. So I moved to the, the, the role at my travel. Then a few years later, the merger happened and we were all sort of back together again, which was very interesting. Um, so through that time, I worked with... Um, so we were sort of split by function. So I, I worked with the um, the cabin crew for the majority of time. I was HR manager for cabin crew, also uh, ground staff at one point in time, engineering for another point. So so right across the board and, and lots of sort of strong union um, representation. Um, so I, it was just I, it was learning I, by doing, really. Can I get into that a bit as well? Because I, I personally, in my HR career, I didn't. I never worked for an organisation um, with unions. I always worked for um, quite small organisations. What was it like going into that environment where you haven't worked with your battled, maybe maybe a better way of saying it, battle with unions? Um, how did you go into that, that situation of, of kind of having to have those meetings with them? Maybe a preconceived idea of what it would be like to... Mm to um to kind of um collaborate with people from a, a union mm. background well well i mean you know part of it is by sort of observing what other people do um and and uh getting to know what the issues are but one of the things that i sort of have always and this goes back to the kpmg sort of going out into businesses i think this is one of the things that's really helped me is um my sort of natural approach is to want to find out um you know more about the individual what their challenges are so trying to see things from different people's perspectives and that works really well generally uh, with all sorts of people but you know particularly when you're sort of trying to um reach some kind of uh situation where you can work with 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 union reps and and you know it, it, in that organization was it a good relationship or was it a bit of a, well they were they varied they, they did vary from union to union and, and person to person uh, you know different union reps have different sort of approaches we had some really good relationships you know we um there were lots of projects that we sort of worked on in partnership uh with with people from the union and got really good results uh, you know from that uh so yeah, so it, it was about developing relationships and, and talking to people and treating people like humans, really, uh, rather than always. You know, I, I'm just I'm not the type of person to to be sort of adversarial or you know, I don't particularly like conflict. So you know, I did have some sleepless nights, you know, relating to sort of union discussions because I, I just you know if I can avoid conflict, I would like to. Um, but it was a yeah, fantastic experience. Um, okay. And the aviation industry is so interesting anyway, you know, and I always find sort of, I, I think I work better when I'm interested in yeah. the end product of an organisation. Okay. So what what were the roles that you went through then? Were they all um, just generalist, yeah. mid-senior level HR positions? Yeah, they were all, they were all generalist roles um, because of the sort of changing uh, the structural changes of within the two organisations uh, it went through various iterations um, with sort of the, the merger being sort of the key thing that stands out. It was such a big thing, you know, uh, the two airlines coming together. Uh, at one point, everybody in the both organisations was at risk of redundancy. So, there were, you know, huge, huge um, implications of this merger. Um, so, as 
from a HR perspective that because um, I always think you're you're the person who's having to go through delivering the the restructure yeah. or the redundancy but when you're um a potential um uh person at risk of redundancy or um mm. you know there's never any support there for 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 the hr person yeah. they're they're just seen from everybody else in the organization as the person who's delivering this news but if they're and sometimes the rest of the organization doesn't understand that actually hr are part of this whole um consultation process as well but hr are then trying to provide the support to the individuals to make sure that they are communicated well and supported throughout the whole process and and it's you know as good an experience as it possibly can Mm. be but where's the support for the hr well yeah i've noticed that a lot recently you know some comments on linkedin recently you know with what's going on at the moment hr having a really tough you know everybody is i know but hr is having quite a tough time in organizations um and and the same thing applies you know there's not really the support for for hr you know i hope people are checking that their colleagues yeah i've heard a few stories recently which um really made me kind of uh, grimace a little bit where um organizations have had to let people go as a result of covid um and the hr person has 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 been the um kind of project lead through all of that and then Mm. at the very end of it they've let the HR person go so it wasn't communicated at the beginning of the process that they Mm. could potentially Mm -hmm. um, uh, be a result their role could be a result of this Mm. they've almost the the directors have kept that card to themselves and then once they've done all the the work yeah directors they inform the HR and that's just quite underhand isn't it yeah that's just cruel cruel yeah Mm. but yeah I've plenty of kind of stories unfortunately coming through all this but yeah I'm just I'm kind of yeah just interested of, of kind of um you know your thoughts around it or what what was it like being in HR and going through a, a big merger like that of the two businesses it was stressful um but what I do remember it you know our t- we had a really strong team and it was kind of you know it's those kind of times isn't it when um you really feel uh, the benefit of a of a strong team. Um, we had a great uh, uh, director at the time, and um, and ev- everybody sort of had their own part. So we were split by by function, um, but we all sort of came together, and everybody knew what each other was doing. And I do remember, you know, and I'm still in, in contact with a lot of those people. Um, and I think that really counts when you you kind of up against it like yeah. that. You know, you know there were unmovable uh, deadlines, so things had to happen, uh, and we had you know there, there was a lot of stress and and sort of fallout from from potential redundancies and things like that. So it's really important. Is there an added of element of uh, of kind of stress when you know you're such a household brand? You know. Yeah. Well, that's always an issue. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've worked for several organisations where sort of reputation, you know, their household names and reputation is really important, isn't it? So, yeah, and it, it's very obviously unfortunate what's happened more recently in relation to to Thomas Cook. It's really mm. sad. Um, but yeah, that that is always there. You sort of you have to, and that, but it's important, kind of as a what's the word. Um, holding people to account isn't it you know in in, in treating people properly uh, i think okay 
So you're with, you're with uh, kind of Thomas cooking um, a couple of different guises for, for, yeah. for, for a few years. And this is when you then make an interesting move. <laughs> so for the for the benefit of the, the kind of listeners, talk to me about how what's happening when you're now leaving Thomas Cook and what happens next in your career. So, and this was, I did, I left, uh, I took redundancy from Thomas Cook actually. And again, this was just, um, one of many restructures, I think. Um, but it was kind of a good time for me to leave. But at that point I, um, had another one of my swerves <laughs> and, uh, and I started, I, I, I'd, for a while I'd wanted to work in a ski, ski resort, um, I'd seen friends do it. I had a, a friend who was dating a ski instructor who told me that there was there was an opportunity in a ski school. Um, do you so I, I, I shouldn't ask this question. How old were you at this point? Uh, how old was I? Uh, I was in my late 30s. Okay. It's um, a so big move, isn't it? It was a, yeah, it was a, a, a bold move, I suppose. But, but, but my sort of logic for it was... Um, I knew that I'd regret it if I didn't try it. So I thought I might regret it if I do it, but I know that I'll regret it if I don't. So the opportunity was there. So I went. Proposition for you to make it. Proposition is the wrong word, but um, what a good. um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. (laughs) You know, reason to to make a decision like that. Um, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. If if I don't do it, I know I'll regret it. If I do it, I might regret it, but. At least I'll have done it. Yeah. So that that was kind of my my thinking. Um, so I went to work as I, I was effectively um, the office manager for a ski school in Courchevel, which is in the Three Valleys in France. Um, and it was great. I mean, it was you know, it was the the pay wasn't great. I got um, a, a season lift pass for you know ski lift pass for as part of my pay. I was going to say, um, that wasn't just your pay. Just it wasn't, that pass. wasn't my only... I don't think, if I hadn't been working for a few years and had a bit of money behind me, I don't think I could have survived. But yeah. but it was a great experience. Um, my first experience, believe it or not, at the age of mid-30s um, of a customer-facing role. So I, I was in the shop where people would come in and book uh, ski lessons. Um, and I sort of managed the instructor rotor and did the banking and all this kind of stuff. So it was a completely different role. Um, but, I, you know, I don't regret having done it. So I did it for one year and then to sort of fit around that, I started doing some contract HR contracting work in okay. the summers uh, and then went back again to do another ski season and then did another contract. So And, and was fortunate enough to get some fantastic uh, contracts to, to sort of accommodate the skiing. Uh, so I worked at uh, Barclays um, at their technology uh, centre. Just before we kind of get into the, those kind of roles, because I've spoken to um, quite a few people who are all re- always interested in doing something like this, but they they have the fear of um, uh, take, being brave enough to take, kind of take that mm. step that, that you've just said of, you know, regretting it if I, if I don't do it. Um, and then, you know, they'll get offered another contract role or a permanent role and they'll take that and then time yeah. is by and they've never, they've never done it. But I also think there's the, they kind of, they take the contract role because they think, well, if I go away, 
and I come back, what if there's nothing then? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what if a COVID strikes or there is a recession or, you know, I, I can't, I can't predict someone to get a job in the future. So I'll take this one now and then I'll go and mm. do my, I'll follow my heart further down the line. My, my head's leading my decision-making right now. You took the plunge and you went off and, and did something that you passionately wanted to do. But in terms of making sure that when you came back for the summers and you were going back to your profession, mm. when did you start that process of, trying to find something was it when you were coming to the end of the ski season or did you wait till you were back in the UK and then start it and and where was your head at if you weren't going to be able to get something I don't think I ever thought I wouldn't be able to get something um I I think that might have just been because up to that point I had been quite successful at getting jobs And, and to be honest with you I think it was because of the sort of you know the initial start I had a good degree, not a brilliant result, but a good subject. <laughs> um, and and I'd worked at some good companies, and I and I was comfort. You know, at that point, I was I was very confident of um, finding something. Um, and in terms of when I started looking, I, that, that first year, yeah, I did start looking while I was still out um, on the ski season. And I actually um, the, the 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 first contract was with Barclays, and that was through my network. Um, so that was my going to be my other question. So yeah. again, for, for people who want to do kind of a contracting route in their career, how did you do it? Was it through network or was it through recruitment agencies yeah. or a blend? Yeah. So the first one was through was I was very lucky actually through my network and Barclays actually sort of condensed their um, recruitment process so that I could do all the interviews in one day. So I literally wow. came home from from skiing had an interview and secured the position and went back and finished the season and then just came straight back into the the contract, which was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Finished the contract kind of a few weeks before the start of the next season, went back out. Uh, And then the next one was through an agency. So it was, um, uh, yes, so so that was with Rolls-Royce. I think probably the quickest interview to job offer so literally I met with the agency at sort of four o'clock uh on on one day the next morning at 8 30 I had an interview at Rolls-Royce and and they offered me the job so um so and I think it was about I think it was about being flexible uh you know a lot of that um and and being in the right place at the right time as well um but also demonstrating that you know I, I could sort of slot into an organization but I guess as well part of it is quickly. again the you know the, the company from their side being adaptive and flexible and speeding their recruitment process understanding yeah. your circumstances and, and adapting to that because yeah, a lot, absolutely a lot yeah. aren't they're very rigid and yeah yeah. And, you know, people like Barclays and Rolls-Royce, they do have very structured procedures. So, you know, for Barclays to sort of shorten their process like yeah. that really helped. Um, and what were those and, types yeah, of roles that you did? So the one at Barclays was in their, um, it was in their global technology function um, based at Radbrook uh, in Cheshire. And uh, it was very a very specific role supporting um, a cheapy transfer Okay. So, so it was very time specific. It's it's lended itself well to um, a contract role, and it you know it was really uh, enjoyable experience. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you went back and forth, back and forth, 
Yeah, a couple of times. Ski yeah. season, proper job, ski. Well, not to say ski yeah. season, the proper job. <laughs> head heart, head heart. Um, yes, absolutely. And what happened for the next stage of your career then? Well, so when I came back after the second season, I thought maybe I'm pushing it a bit. <laughs> maybe maybe I should sort of get back into it. Um, so I did another contract role, uh, which was a completely different organisation. Um, and that, is, that was the Grosvenor Estate. So the Duke okay. of Westminster's estate, um, which before going to work there, I had no idea, you know, that there was this big organisation uh, behind it. Uh, so very different from sort of, you know, the the kind of commercial yeah. um, organisations sort of that I've been in before. Well, I was working in the the actual estate, uh, beautiful location, um, but it, it's all the sort of people that you might imagine in a in a country estate. So foresters, deer park keepers, you know, people running the house. Um, so just completely different yeah. um, uh, and an interesting experience to to be part of. Sort of working in, you know, you've got a forestry team who are working in sort of two hundred year cycles in terms of managing, uh, managing the, the the trees and things like that. It's just all so different from a from a commercial environment. So yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm, my my eyes have my eyes <laughs> little for me have pricked up. I think that sounds brilliant. What an environment! They, they employ a lot of people, many more people than you might imagine. Um, so and then there are other businesses sort of as part of you know sort of linked to it so there's an investment business um, and various other things as well so what, what was your um, role hr hr uh, business partner hr manager oh, okay. yeah so part of a team again um uh supporting at the time well the the people sort of working in the houses so um your typical sort of butlering teams and, yeah. and housekeeping teams and all sorts of all sorts of things very different isn't it very yeah different. absolutely yeah one yeah. of those yeah when, when i imagine whenever you tell anybody about that there was like very intrigued of, yeah yeah completely i bet there's always have you got a juicy story <laughs> none that i could tell that. here <laughs> no, no but i imagine that's a question that people ask yeah, as soon as absolutely. they hear <laughs> but no don't worry i'm not going to ask you to, <laughs> to put that into the public domain okay um and then what what kind of happened from there so I was I ended up being there probably a couple of years and then at that point I saw I think I just in the past I'd never really thought I want to head up a department and then all of a sudden I did so I thought do you know what I I, I do think I should um look for a head of HR role um what, what was the thinking behind that did you say that as the natch nat, can't speak next natural step in yeah, your career think- evolution yeah, um, I think, it, as I say, it, it, in the past, I'd always been happy to be sort of part of the HR team. And then I, and I thought, you know, as I was thinking about what shall I do next, I thought I don't really want to go and do the same job again somewhere else. Um, I do want to, I think I can do it. I've seen, you know, it's lots like of different... be the decision maker. Yeah, so, and, and so that's what I did basically okay. and, I, and I was really fortunate I, I think I applied for two roles and got the second one I applied for which then made me question have I waited too long I should have done this earlier. listening to this thinking why have you brought her on she's just had the luckiest things with everything <laughs> well, I, don't want to, I don't want to present it as all luck <laughs> no no well I think you make your own luck in life I think certainly yeah. there is a degree of um, opportunity presenting itself at the right time yeah. 
I, I, and, yeah, and I think I guess the message that I would want to put across, not that just I'm really lucky, it's um, that not to be scared of taking chances because I, I, there's a lot of people look at CVs and think, oh, this person's jumped around a lot. But I think there's a lot less of that now for a start. And I also think there's nothing wrong with having a slightly less orthodox career because you kind of you just have to be true to what you want to you know what's right for you at yeah. the time don't you i think it depends on the the, the reasoning behind yeah a, a, a movement on your cv if it's that every six to 12 months you got bored and wanted to mm. move that's different to yeah um progressioning your career redundancy um one bad mistake you know mm. one move that was the wrong move and if you got out of that quickly great. Yeah. Um, but again, just going back to what I was saying, I think there's a difference between opportunity presenting itself and being lucky and opportunity presenting itself. But then you still have to secure that role. It's mm. not given to you on a platter. You're, mm. Any interview process is effectively a competition because you're up mm. against other individuals who are also being interviewed. So, yeah. yes, maybe some roles came up at the right time, but roles always appear in the market. It's it's about your credibility and your credentials and your how you put yourself across at the interview process that that mm. makes that what would be perceived as being luck happen. Mm. Um, so you know you may have only interviewed for for two roles and got the second one, but there's a reason why that happened. It wasn't because you know they didn't look around and go, well, there's nobody else. We'll just mm. we'll offer it Sarah. She's the only one who was interested. <laughs> I've never known that to be the case. Um, no. With the, with the one that I got, actually, they'd been through one sort of iteration of recruitment um, some months ago or something, I think, my understanding is. And then they'd gone back to the drawing board in terms of what they were actually looking for. What do you think is your, your mantra or your style of HR? Ooh, that's a tricky question. Because for me, I, I I almost pride myself on the way that I differentiate to most recruiters out there. And I have a clear uh, opinion of how I kind of want to operate. Um, and when I've spoken to kind of other uh, senior people on the, on the podcast and, and asked them that sort of question, you know, there's maybe collaborative, maybe understanding the business first before um, don't don't going with a prescriptive approach of HR, mm. going with a Absolutely. understand and then make the decision yeah. from there. Yeah. You're probably describing it actually. Yeah. So I think the HR is often or has often been misunderstood and it, and partly it's due to um, the way that HR might have been presented in the past, you know, as, you, you know. Personnel. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I think you, I can't remember whether it was on or off uh, this recording, you you talked about the fun police. Yeah. And that's, that's often the case. Um, you know, uh, there were people in Thomas Cook who called us Thomas, uh, human remains. Yeah. Rather than human resources. That's probably yeah. one you've heard before. So, and I do, and it's partly because sometimes, uh, this wasn't the case at Thomas Cook, but sometimes, HR is kind of a, a sort of ivory tower kind of function, isn't it? Which is, um, you know, and HR people sometimes don't get involved with conversations unless they're HR related, you know. So one of the things that I think is really important to is to show an interest in 
operate the operational side of the business um so understand what the the operational issues are not just the issues that impact on people um and demonstrate that you're interested in the challenges that people yeah. have it's good it's, so it's a, i agree with you i um i fell into hr as my business partner role but because i had no preconceived ideas or mm. had never been under anyone's um uh, guidance of how hr should operate it was a blank canvas to me so i just i just went in as as martin you know i had yeah, a job did what was natural yeah yeah and I, and I just used to go around and chat to people and i'd sit down and talk to them through stuff and a lot of people said to me you're unlike anybody any hr people we've ever met before because there was no kind of um uh preconceived element of, of how i went about my job i just I messed around a little bit, you know, I had a joke with people um, and unbeknownst to me, it wasn't conscious I was doing this. I was breaking down those barriers of mm-hmm. their perception of how they thought HR was. Yeah. And, I, you know, to anybody out there who's maybe in the earlier stages of HR and, and wants to improve and develop, I think my probably recommendations sound like they'd be similar to yours. Get out into the business. Go and mm. sit in meetings that aren't HR meetings. Learn yeah. about the organisation. Um, just have informal chats with people that aren't HR related mm. and, and build those relationships. You'll win trust, um, credential. You know, you'll just you'll develop relationships that, when there is a HR requirement of your dialogue, mm. maybe with that person or that team it'll make it so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you can anticipate more as well if you sort of know yeah, what's going that's on. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. yeah. You get a feeling of what's going on. Um, if there's going to be trouble on the horizon, you, mm-hmm. you can start to sense it much, much earlier and maybe yeah. um, mitigate it in some cases yeah. as well. Yeah. And the other thing is that you mitigate the potential for people to kind of sidestep you and <laughs> do their own thing which can sometimes lead to problems keep them on a tight leash <laughs> <laughs> okay um so where are we up to now then so we're, uh, so i've just we're got my grown, rollers huh? ahead of hr at um what is now oh, that was uh, a, yeah sorry, GRI. sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah so you decided we've digressed massively so you decided you <laughs> wanted to be the decision maker you wanted to yeah. Um, lead a HR team rather yeah. than be part of the team okay yeah um so I moved to uh, again another company which has been through a lot of change since I joined but is now uh, GRI uh, who are um a they effectively work in the recruitment space so a- acting as an intermediary intermediary so um sort of outsourced uh recruitment okay. um and when I moved there they had had some HR kind of a year ago, but they'd had a big gap. Uh, so, it's, so it was a um, 100% owner-managed organisation when I joined uh, and it had evolved. Yeah. Um, so they needed HR, um, and but they hadn't had any HR support for some time. So effectively, when I went in, I sort of built it up from being kind of an admin function. Um to the point where there was an HR, small HR team, um, and we were operating, you know, as a on a kind of business partner, um, trusted advisor 
type yeah. of role is how I like to so less reactive it. and starting to bring in some yeah. of the, yeah. the yeah. value-adding elements. Yeah, and then sort of two years in, uh, there was a management buyout after which I was promoted to uh, director of people and engagement. Um, and uh, so doing a very broad generalist uh, role uh, covering a full remit, uh, working as part of the senior leadership team. And I continued in that role. Um, uh, there was a private equity uh, sale, uh, continued in the role after that. Can and I then just, I l- sorry, I, I do like to interject a little bit. <laughs> I know that not everybody understands the environment that operates with a private equity business so yeah. i i worked in an organization um when in my hrbp role it was a private equity and i always understood the the driving factors behind how we had to operate because it was a private equity business mm-hmm. but I, I also appreciate um not everybody knows kind of the the principles of a, of a private equity back to organization can we just kind of elaborate around that because essentially they they they, they buy the company mm. they um then look to maximize their return on investment by driving down cost or improving sales or um uh increasing or dif- you know differentiating um coming up with different product lines whatever it may be depending on the organization to ultimately then sell it mm. at the end and you have to understand there is decisions are made to, to with the ultimate goal of then selling at the end that's kind of my that was how we operated would, would you agree with that uh yes i would uh I, I think yeah absolutely um i think i was lucky in that role in that my um line manager who was the ceo um understood that there were some positive people activity which supported you know developing building the growth um that was needed for the private equity targets so um it wasn't all about sort of cost reduction you know it was about employee engagement and in achieving you know uh, greater productivity through engaging with the people in the business so my role remained quite a positive role is that why your title has the director of people and yeah exactly yeah yeah i mean he he was really keen that um the the sort of the the positive nature of of what we were doing sort of continued post uh private equity that's really good isn't it Uh, yeah it is um operating in yeah yeah um and for me you know yes it's about sort of maximizing returns for stakeholders isn't it um but i i sort of i stayed in the role for as long as i did because i had opportunities to 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 work on sort of the more positive aspects um like engagement culture communications uh all the all the sort of good things okay cool and then this brings up to fairly recent yeah (laughs) so 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 you left there left in may just at the end of lockdown uh, middle middle of lockdown middle yeah so lockdown. The, the first sort of eight weeks or so of the lockdown yeah yeah uh, the first eight weeks I was well look back at of, this in like a couple of years and think it'll be like lockdown, a bad thing. how weird that was yeah yeah it's very like a sort of futuristic novel or something isn't it, it is like 19, um, is it 1984 is that 
Yeah. Or drawable one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the first eight weeks I was doing my uh, sort of internal HR thing. So that was, you know, all the stuff that my HR colleagues are, are, are grappling with, you know, furlough and how it works in practice and and, uh, and unfortunately redundancies as well. Step, step um, one, what is furlough? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, you can sort of see it on paper and then you try and apply it in practice and it was changing all the time and, you know, there yeah. were new things coming through. So it was very interesting to sort of be running alongside and trying to work it out in practice. Um, and then I, I sort of saw an opportunity to, uh, to um, you know, I'd been, in, I'd been in that role in various guises for six years um and I'd often thought about sort of going it alone in the past but going back to something you said earlier about you know in the past I've sort of then seen another job and thought oh that's Mm -hmm. the easier route I'll go and do another role doing the same thing and even though the timing is not ideal given what else is going on in the world I, I thought again it's more of a question of if I don't do it now when am I going to to do it so it felt like the right time for me in my career to be um, starting out on my own, even if the timing sort of I was going to say, did you, globally did you have and any concerns? Because, well. I, I, you know, I started Hire People. Um, it was literally almost a year ago. I mentioned this just before the call. It was almost mm. literally a year to the day um, that I handed my notes in from the agency I was working mm. at and then um, started Hire People in January. But I did that not knowing what was about to happen yeah. through 2020. Yeah. You made the decision in the middle of what was Well, happening. yeah, it, well, it, yeah, it's a it's a risky time. I mean, I took redundancy, you know, I was, I was effectively my role was made redundant. So yeah. um, it, it was then a question of do I look for another job or, and I did sort of toy with the idea Um but I knew it wasn't going to be easy to do that either. Um, you know, any any luck that I might have had before, I'm not sure how that would have played out this time. Um, and 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 then just weighing, I, I took the opportunity to really have a think about what I wanted to do. And I, you know, I asked people for feedback, um, including you know my ex boss and. Other I was going to say, I what sort with. of people? So people through your network. Yeah, so HR I, I, people or um, uh, operational. So yeah, friends. Um, my ex boss, the CEO, was very kind uh, and gave me some feedback. People I'd worked with, so sort of stakeholders uh, in the business, and and then yeah, just sort of other friends. I'd, I'd, to be honest, I didn't ask anybody who I thought would give me really horrible feedback. <laughs> I wasn't sure I could take it, but sort of useful, constructive feedback. Um, and so I really tried to to um, to kind of go back to basics of what did I actually want and and um, what was the best thing for me to do and and it, and so in the end sort of all paths kind of led me down the route of you know I need to give it a go yes it's a risk um, but let's see what happens and how did you decide on what what you were going to do so mm. yes you've gone you've gone external you've got your own so so the thought is okay I'm going to take take the take the redundancy what happens next right i'm going to i'm going to start my own business up um my skills are within hr as a as a hr leader how did you then decide what specifically type of services you were going to offer well i think that's really difficult and 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 i had various you know people have been really generous with their time um 
you know people who are, have started businesses themselves or you know or, or other people within hr or in in businesses um and and a lot of people have sort of said you you really need to narrow it down um so that you can speak you know who you're speaking to kind of thing and i found it really difficult um because i'm i'm scared about narrowing i'm i'm a naturally a generalist so i'm scared about narrowing it down if that makes sense um, it's very similar so, to to my world, the world of recruitment. You, you know, you, my background's HR, so I, you know, HR recruitment. I started my own business and, and broadened that to HR marketing recruitment because my, my wife's a marketing manager. Mm-hmm. I have seen the, her have the exact same frustrations of dealing with agencies, mm. but it's something that I understand well enough to be able to have credibility of, of recruiting for that that profession as well. But then there's the danger of, um, especially when times are tough, of, of sticking to your principles and not saying, okay, well, do you know what? I'll, I'll just recruit for anything because mm. I don't I don't want to miss out on an opportunity. And for you, setting your um, business, you know, you're putting your flag in the sand of saying, this is my business, this is what we mm. do. But then also putting the fear to one side of thinking well if I only say we're doing that what Mm. what am I going to miss out on that actually would financially just help me as an individual my family or whatever it may be so Mm. so I'm I I understand that you know I empathize massively with with kind of having to do that and I appreciate how hard it must be how did you then decide upon okay this is what I am going to do Mm -hmm. because I say you are a generalist um you could provide a generalist mm. external yeah. service. Yeah, well, and that's part of what I am I am doing. Yeah, so so one of the ways I, I thought of sort of um, packaging it is, so one of the offerings that I have is outsourced HR, um, which I'm, you know, I've worked in lots of different organisations doing HR, so I, I, I'm sort of well sort of placed to do. Um, so that gives me that sort of generalist bit. Yeah. Um, uh, the, you know, I'm... I'm from my previous role, the sort of strategic aspects of of HR uh, are the bits that I have a real sort of interest in, and it goes back to being interested in the organisation and um, identifying uh, HR sort of interventions which support the the business and and you know support business goals. So that so that's the sort of strategic HR consulting angle, and then. I am also a, a sort of qualified coach um, and I enjoy the coaching conversations very different from the sort of from the HR uh, you know it's more sort of one-to-one um, so that's the the other sort of uh, element that I've I've um, included as part of the offering uh, and at the moment that is looking like um, sort of you know providing outplacement support um, coaching people who are uh, at risk of redundancy or going through a redundancy consultation or have come out the other side um, so I think there's a there's a big sort of requirement and uh, a need for people mm. you know to support people in those kind of situations uh, so that's another aspect of what in other I'm words, doing. Like my math because my next question was going to be so um, you know what who what sort of person would be approaching you but you just you've you've kind of explained that so it's those organizations who are going through those sorts of yeah. um periods who could approach you and, and ask for because mm. sometimes it's good to bring an external body in to deliver um 
um, projects or sessions like that rather than keeping it as an in because it can mm. it, sometimes it can be too personal or there's too yeah. much emotional attachment yeah you know if you're part of the organization and um maybe you, you need some out, outsourced or out, out placement um support um it's better to bring somebody external yeah to, to well and it can it. be yeah if you've got an hr function who've been involved with the redundancy process as well it can then be quite difficult for them to put on a, a hat to go yeah. and do the the sort of the the app placement support so that's uh, where that type of service can be useful okay okay fantastic so you you're a couple of months in um mm. how's how's it all going so far it's do you know what i'm i'm really enjoying I've, I've surprised myself with how much i've enjoyed networking with people uh i still haven't gone to a big networking event obviously yeah. but um yeah you know even online but uh you know I've, I've really enjoyed sort of starting to have the conversations with people and I've, I've enjoyed the sort of because variety is always something that I've valued in my work which I think is partly why I've moved around a bit uh, so having to do all the aspects of setting up a, a company you know the sort of the, the the practical things that you have to do yeah um and the learning about kind of using LinkedIn and Twitter I've got a Twitter thing which i never had before um, i started on it and I, I just stopped using it because i'd never used twitter before and then yeah. um my wife said oh you, you know she set up um my kind of social media accounts for me because my marketing background um and I, I just tried to use twitter to begin with yeah and then i just thought it's not catching the audience i want and th- there's a lot of hate on twitter i just yeah that, that I, scares me a bit yeah, yeah i ended up just yeah not using it and just just focusing on other other platforms a little bit yeah yeah but it's all it's all sort of learning new things which i you know really when we were talking about you know some of the stuff i've learned that that you know software that you can use that can can help you as well it is it's about does the does this there's the element that your professional skills lie within but then at the same time you're a single person running a business mm-hmm. and there's the business mm-hmm. requirements, yeah. like you say, setting up your company's house, um, whether you want to be VAT registered or not, um, doing your own accounting um, or using a platform. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've got so many invoices that I need to put on QuickBooks and I keep thinking should have done every single one as they popped up and I've just got a reading <laughs> of them and then, yeah, I need to get them done because my, my VAT payment will be due and, yeah, there's these it's all stuff that you never imagined you'd exactly, be looking at, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. I'm organised. I just I don't know why. It's hmm. just my invoices putting them on the system. I just um I've got them all filed, but I just yeah, just save and upload is is I don't know, I just seem to have an issue with that. But yeah, it's all <laughs> it's all these that's the thing you do to, to do something like you're doing or you know, although our professions aren't exactly the same, I, you know, I've done a kind of setting up by yourself. Um you do just have to be aware that there's all this other stuff that goes on, mm. but it's, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm saying all this, it's not as surprisingly, it's not as difficult as you no. might think as well. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just kind of, uh, I guess. The scary bit sort of a, business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the setup stuff is all interesting, but doable. Yeah. So, so now the, you know, I've, I've started to, um, to get a bit of traction. Um, and obviously I'm just looking to, to build that up. So. so let's let's do a, an unshameless plug then. So, <laughs> um, so you're um, you're essentially 
Um, you know, it's great that you've come in and shared your story, but I guess ultimately if, if this can somehow help, this podcast can help you in some way, um, mm. you're, you're open to speaking with, um, I can't imagine there'd be any managing directors listening to this, but managing directors. Oh, um, you can, you can, but hope. <laughs> well, exactly. Yes. Yes. Well, this, I was just looking at the, some of the stats of where this is, is um, kind of, I won't see kind of how many, um, people have been listened and, and I can also see where in the world they've listened and um it surprised me it's like reached Australia um, fantastic. the US um Portugal I can understand some of the some of the foreign ones because of some of the guests in the organization they've yeah. worked in but some of the other ones like Brussels and Portugal and stuff I'm thinking I don't know so if you're listening <laughs> from any of these countries thank you for listening I don't know how you've ended up listening but thank you yeah, um um so but like you say you know it can't these sorts of things can get listened to by by whoever you just don't know but who's you know who would you love to be kind of getting in touch with you and and engaging with you Um, I think if if you're in an SME and you need support with um, HR services or strategic HR interventions or uh, or coaching um, then please get in touch I'd love to talk to you um I guess the good yeah. one on that as well with the SME is sometimes you'll find it's a maybe a junior member or a junior um somebody at the early stage of their HR mm. career so an organization doesn't need a I know a 30 grand a year HR manager um mm. because of the size of their workforce they only need a 23k HR assistant because it's mm. it's fairly low level stuff um but that person will have inexperience in certain aspects so yep. I guess an organization like that where they've even got an in-house maybe one HR administrator or assistant who needs someone to turn to to ask the questions exactly um, yeah yes yeah. So, and that's where flexible support comes in you know and in a time where sort of organizations are probably um looking to to kind of keep costs as low as they can then having a flexible resource you can draw on when you need it, um, I think is really beneficial. Um, there's also organisations, you know, that might be at a tipping point where they haven't really needed um, to have that HR support before or they haven't got the sort of structure in place. Uh, and that's something that, uh, you know, I, I can help with. And then I guess the other end of the spectrum is going in doing the um, – you know the outsource placement the coaching the yeah. into the bigger organizations as well absolutely yeah and and the coaching side of it you know it's it yes at the moment there's obviously a focus on sort of supporting people going through redundancy um and helping them sort of to to move on um but coaching can be around you know sort of um behavioral or it can be sort of helping people uh taking their first step onto the the board for example or or with a whole host of of different things it's it's quite a valuable sort of um uh, intervention for for your staff okay fantastic lovely right final question from me then this is my um my staple question now for everybody. So if you could give advice to um, the younger you or just um, if you could just offer a, a, a golden nugget to any of the listeners, what sort of advice would you offer out there? So I think if, it, if it's kind of um, what I would say to myself when I was starting out, it, 
I think it's about having more, believing in yourself. It's about self. I, I, I could kick myself now at certain times in my career, earlier career, in terms of my sort of lack of self-confidence. Uh, and I just think you can do so much more if you believe in yourself. I think there's another one for you as well that I've taken from this. It's, doesn't, sometimes it is a risk to follow your heart. But sometimes it's the best thing that you can do. Mm. You know, you, you, I, from listening to what we've just spoke about over the last hour and a, and a little bit, there's there's definitely um, a, a commonality there where you're somebody who has taken a calculated risk, but you've 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 followed your heart to do something that you've wanted to do, and believed that when you need to dip back into your follow your head, it will work out. And I think mm. sometimes people can can learn from that at the same time as well. Don't yeah. feel like you're stuck on the, the railroads of life. Yeah, you know, I think it depends a bit on it. what motivates you, doesn't it? But for me, I, yeah. I, and there's also this thing about being authentic that's talked about a lot. And I think that's the only way to be authentic, really. Yeah. Cool. Right. Sarah, that was brilliant. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Um, we've been talking... Oh, just an hour and 10 minutes, I think. That's flown by, absolutely flown by. But, <laughs> um, but it was interesting. It was a very, very different story um, to a lot of other people. So thank you for firstly nominating yourself. Yeah. Secondly, I hope it wasn't as nerve-wracking as... No, it was very enjoyable. Though. Good, that was good. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. And there we have it, another show done. Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy the show, please do like and review it on whichever platform it is that you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google. Um, also, why not tell a friend as well? Get them involved. Share the wealth around. Um, feedback is greatly appreciated as well. You can um, reach me on LinkedIn. Any feedback is really, really appreciated because that goes back into helping the show be what it is that you want um, and I can tailor it to make sure that I'm asking the questions that, that you guys think are relevant. But thanks again and see you next week.